it's a physical thing. The uterus is a muscle, just like the muscles in your thighs, but actually more like the muscle in your heart. So what we try to do for women in labor is help them relax the rest of their body so that the uterus can contract as uninhibited as possible. Hello, I'm Carolyn, and this is What Doulas Know. I'm a doula, the mother of two, and for over 40 years, a registered nurse. My goal is to educate, support, and empower before, during, and after pregnancy with a special emphasis on labor and childbirth. All information presented in this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not intended as medical diagnosis or treatment. The persons presenting the episodes are not licensed doctors. You should consult a qualified medical professional before making any decisions regarding your health, including any decisions based on information presented here. Hi, it's Carolyn with another episode of What Doulas Know. We're talking with Linda Smith. She is a breastfeeding and um, lactation consultant, a childbirth educator, author, and um, liaison to the World Health Organization, baby-friendly initiative, and a delegate to the United States Breastfeeding Committee. Uh, She's been working with women and children and families for over 50 years. And today we're going to talk about actual labor in uh, I think we can all give our form of definition of the word labor, but it is not easy. But it is also something that shouldn't scare you to death. It is a natural thing. And um, Linda and I are going to talk a little bit about what the body actually does during labor, what the uterus does. And we're going to come uh, full circle around to the initiative that you should be allowed, should is a strong word always, but if desired, a woman needs to be able to eat a little bit and drink a little bit during the labor process because labor is work and your body needs the calories. So, Linda, can you talk a little bit about um, the physicality of labor? Yes, and I'm going to frame this with Niles Newton's work. She's an anthropologist that talked about male and female biosexual functions. Both men and women have intercourse. Something we usually remember the first time. We might remember the most recent time. It's something that happens reasonably frequently in our lives. For men, that's it. For women, we also have menstruation. It happened, we know when our first period was. Sometimes we remember our last. It happens many times in our lives. Controllable? No, not at all. Pregnancy only happens a few times. Labor only happens a few times. Birth and breastfeeding only happen a few times. But it's a big deal. There's a lot of our body involved in becoming or not becoming pregnant, how we labor, how we birth. People die in birth and then fulfilling that with breastfeeding. It's a physical thing. The uterus is a muscle, just like the muscles in your thighs, but actually more like the muscle in your heart. It needs calories and food support or a liquid support. It needs nerve conductivity. The hormones involved birth are the same ones involved in conception. So the circumstances that would be there for conception, assuming it was a pleasant experience for the woman, are the same ones that help the baby come out in the best way because ultimately it's uterine contractions, oxytocin responses, Let me talk a little bit about oxytocin because oxytocin and adrenaline are opposites. Adrenaline is your fight, flight, fear hormone. We tend to freeze up. 
Oxytocin is the tend and befriend. It's what we experience when we're eating a lovely meal with a loved one. It helps us digest. It helps us heal. It helps us get horny. So we we would really like to have a lot of oxytocin in labor, but that's a hard thing to do in most birthing settings, even at home, because it's not the same as a nice dinner with someone or even making love. Mm-hmm. But it is physical. It's a uterine contraction. And let me talk to that because my first career was in uh, as a physical education teacher. We want, let's say, swimmers to have relaxed muscles as they're contracting. When a muscle is contracting, it needs oxygen and glycogen. If we deprive it of oxygen and glycogen, it contracts weakly and painfully. So in a running race, the runner would fall down because their muscles, their legs don't work. Or in a swimming race, their arms give out. In a heart attack, it's a blockage that causes a heart attack. They're not getting circulation. The uterus is a muscle. So what we try to do for women in labor is help them relax the rest of their body so that the uterus can contract as uninhibited as possible. So if she's gripping her hands or curling her toes, that's taking energy, calories, and oxygen away from the muscle that you can't control. You can control limbs. You can't control your heart. You can't control the uterus. Okay, so when did it all start that women were not allowed to eat or drink during labor? It started when women were knocked out in the late 1800s when ether chloroform was used during birth because if the woman was knocked out, she could vomit and aspirate and or, or suck into their lungs and die. In 1946, which was a long time ago, a physician studied 50,000-ish women who were knocked out for birth and looked at how many aspirated and died. And they found that it was a very small percentage that aspirated at all. And it was either liquid or solid food because nobody had told them not to eat or drink. And only 0.005% of deaths were probably from solid food because they were knocked out cold on their back. Now, back in 1946, they had different kind of anesthesia. They didn't have epidurals or spinals. They had gas anesthesia, which was quite volatile, bad stuff. And you did vomit, and mothers were on their back. So that's not a good thing. But if we really needed that now, you and I should probably put in an IV before we go driving. Um, in mid-June, I was in a car accident and taken to the hospital. Well, fortunately, nothing was broken, but I may have needed emergency surgery. And I had just come from lunch. So the uterus is a muscle. Women who eat and drink throughout labor do better because they're hydrated. The muscle contracts better. Labor is not prolonged because starvation makes labor longer and harder. Um, Most women will eat and drink until labor gets really hard, seven or eight centimeters, and then they're too busy having a baby. And then they push, which is really hard work. And then afterward, they'll eat anything that isn't nailed down. Right, right. So the mother-friendly care includes allowing women to drink and eat light foods during labor if desired. Right. So I know I just took a tour of a hospital uh, baby care facility, and as we walked by the lounge, the uh, person giving the tour said, now that's for the fathers to get something to eat or drink because you know you won't be allowed to eat or drink. And uh, 
I thought, gosh, did they just not read the initiative? (laughs) No, this literature has been clear in the anesthesia literature since the early 2000s. And Geraldine O'Sullivan uh, from Ireland studied this and found that if you let mothers eat and drink whatever they want, you probably don't want spaghetti and meatballs at four centimeters, but reasonable foods that are digestible easily. Anybody that studies athletic nutrition knows what to give. There was no increase in complications for the mother or the baby, nor was there more vomiting. Right. And I think one of the myths would be that uh, when we say food and drink, we don't mean a big spaghetti and meatballs or a turkey dinner or anything. We mean a granola bar, a bite, or a honey stick or something that um, is light and, as you said, digestible and what the mother wants. And that is one of the things that I cover in my birth plan is give me a couple of your favorite foods that we need to pack and make sure are ready. And uh, some people have something very specific that they know. I I can eat this sort of uh, protein bar, but I don't want anything else. Yeah. And if you wanted to take that even more scientific, talk to a dietitian or anybody that studies sports nutrition. Anything you'd give a marathon runner in the middle of the race would be great. Right. And I think that having water is, of course. is, is huge. Having water is huge. What is the difference if you go into the hospital and they immediately want to start an IV. Starting an IV is the hospital's way of saying, what's the worst that could happen? We need to be prepared for it, which is actually not unreasonable. Uh, For one of my labors, I'd had one ordinary and one fairly fast. For my third one, I said, I don't want an IV, but you can put a heparin lock in Mm -hmm. because I understand your need to have a vein open as something happens suddenly, which it can happen, and yet I don't want the fluids because I don't want dehydrate. I mean overhydration, right. which oddly enough goes to the breast, and then we have edema in the breast, and then a baby that can't latch on, and besides, it hurts. Right. So the whole pattern of IV hydration, if a woman can drink enough liquids in labor, that's better. A lot of hospitals are going to want her to have an IV, particularly if she has an epidural, Because on an epidural, you have to be on your back, and then your blood pressure drops, and nobody wants low blood pressure. Back to the heparin lock, I just want to explain what that is. It's um, just where they put a small needle, a plastic catheter actually, in a vein, and then they cap it off. And it's called a heparin lock because heparin is an anticoagulating drug, so they don't want a blood clot to form so they can get the uh, IV fluids right in there. So a lot of times when they take an IV out or if they don't want to start a full-fledged IV, they put in a heparin lock. So that is not unreasonable if you're in a hospital setting so that they can get you fluids if you need something or if there is an emergency. But but that does kind of play with your brain a little bit. Well, and let me say about emergency. Anybody who attends births from us doulas to the professionals that attend it usually can see a problem beginning at least a few minutes before it happens. Mm -hmm. For them not to be able to put in an IV, paramedics have to do it in traffic accidents or or a mass casualty. So it's something that is part of a hospital culture. It's hard to avoid that. But like you said, heparin lock is a pretty good compromise. Yeah, it plays your head a little bit, but you're in a hospital. So when you go into hospital, hospitals are built for sick people and surgical patients. They do sick people and surgery really well. And birth is usually not a sick person or a surgery. 
If it is, yeah, you got to take all the interventions. But if you're a healthy person, yeah, maybe a birth center might be another choice to consider. Right. Okay. So that's another episode of What Doulas Know. And Linda, I, I really do appreciate you being here. It's exciting to be able to get this information out. Thank you for listening to this episode of What Doulas Know. You can learn more about the show and my guests at whatdoulasknow.com. Please rate and review this show. It helps get more exposure and reach additional people. Peace to all. Thanks. Thanks.